Welcome, friends, to another episode of Presbyterians in Quarantine, Drinking Coffee. I'm your host, one of them, Mark Murnan, and I'm joined once again by my friends, Andrew Jacobson, pastor of Sand Harbor Presbyterian Church in Jupiter, Florida, and by Wes Lauber, a pastor at Cornerstone Community Church in North Palm Beach, Florida. Actually, Palm Beach Gardens. Did I say that? Same Palm Beach way. Gardens, somewhere here in the North County of Palm Beach County. Anyway, <laughs> great to be with you all again. We're stumbling along here. So we're going to be a little uh, windy and breezy outside, but we are safe here in the bunkers and uh, coming at you once again via Zoom. Hopefully we will be back again together next week and looking forward to that. And yeah, we're, we're looking at, at changing to Presbyterians formerly in quarantine, still drinking coffee. Formerly in quarantine. We're going to try and fit all that into that. Into that. Okay, but I like how you asked this. So we'll have to revise the, uh, the logo on that. Yeah, we've got to rebrand ourselves. All right, rebranding. But uh, gentlemen, today we have a, the hot topic. We're continuing in our study of the attributes of God, which we started a couple of weeks ago. And this week, last week, was uh, God's simplicity, the aseity of God. And this week, it is the immutability of God. So gentlemen, why don't you kick us off with the distinction and the definition? Yeah, I can start. Um, so when we talk about uh, the attribute of God's immutability, what we mean to put it as simply as possible is that we mean that God does not change. Not only that he does not change, but that he cannot change. He is perpetually the same as he was the same yesterday, today, and forever is one of you know, the Bible verses we think of. And uh, a quote here from uh, A.W. Pink that kind of helps us understand this uh, even better. He says, God cannot change for the better for he is already perfect and being perfect. He cannot change for the worse. And so when we say that God cannot change, we don't mean that he can't get better because better is not a word that applies to God. He's already perfect. Yeah. But we mean that he, he's never going to diminish or decrease. There's never going to be a deficiency that enters God. There's never going to be a, a piece of sand that falls into the gears and causes things to stop working properly. God does not change because he is and always will be perfect. Anything you'd add to that, Wes? Yeah, I mean, I think of, we're going to get into this a little bit later, but I think of just uh, the whole marriage and specifically the concept of marriage nowadays, right? Where people see marriage as two people that have uh, personalities that just align perfectly, right? And then, and then, you know, as long as you marry someone who's perfectly compatible with you, uh, life will be great. And, and what they fail to realize is that people change, yeah. Mm -hmm. inevitably there's going to issues are going to come up, right? There are, are things that you will discover about this person that you may not like. Um, and that's just the reality of living in the fall in a fallen world in the flesh is that we change. Unlike God, we, we change and we change often for the worse, for the better. Um, as believers, we, we are progressively being sanctified, being made into the image of Christ. But when I think of God's immutability, I think of how he relates to his church and how that is so closely tied with uh, with marriage, right? That mm. the Lord is married to his church. But this marriage is with someone that, that does not change at all, will never change. You know exactly who he is, and therefore you can always trust in who he is. Mm. Mm. We're going we're gonna to address, I think, in a few minutes the, the aspects of the, the, the virtue, the, the great benefit of his unchangeableness. Mm -hmm. But let's address real briefly the things that God cannot do as if, as if 
they were theoretically limitations, but mm -hmm. are in fact evidences of his perfection, of his all sufficiency. So let, let's talk about the, what he cannot do. Yeah, this is actually an area where I think sometimes uh, Christians can get tripped up on it. When you say that God cannot do something, they're like, wait, 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 hold on a second. I thought God can do everything. Well, uh, actually, there are some things that God cannot do, and those things that he cannot do are actually wonderfully good things that are actually signs of his perfection, not signs of his deficiency. So there are three of them. They're kind of stated like this. God cannot lie, God cannot die, and he cannot deny himself. So God cannot lie. God can never speak untruth. He cannot make a false statement. God always speaks the truth. He is not like man that he can lie or change his mind. And then God cannot die. God is the eternal everlasting God. He does not grow weary. He does not grow faint like some young men or old men. God is always the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his, you know, the earth above us and the earth beneath us is going to give way, but God will never give way. And then he cannot deny himself that he cannot do anything contrary to his holy and perfect character. And so those are part of God's unchangeableness. He, his, he can't lie because he's unchanging in his truthfulness. He can't die because he's unchanging in his perfect life. And he cannot deny himself because he's unchanging in his character. And what an amazing reality to think about that God cannot act in any way, shape, or form outside of who he is. It's impossible. God is a God. He's long-suffering, right? He's not suddenly going to be prone to quick anger, right? He's not going to suddenly become quickly wrathful and vengeful in, in a moment. fly notice. off the handle and lose yeah. his patience. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, God, he's a long suffering, and he, but he is quick to forgive. And these are things that remain true of God. And I just think of as followers of Christ, right? Those of us who, who, who know the Lord and ha have experienced our own failures um, in our walks with the Lord. Just what a, what an amazing thing that should stir our hearts to just love love God more, just to love Him. That He's constantly remaining steadfast in His abounding love and faithfulness, and that that will never change, no matter what. That's yeah, beautiful. This... Now, I, I I did have a because there there are two other things, and and you brought up three of them: lie, um, lie, try, die, or try uh, deny. Deny, yeah. But there are two of them, and I want to just circle back with this an idea. There is a uh, a theory in certain wings of evangelicalism of open theism, where the mm -hmm. God is in process, process theology. Uh, mm -hmm. But that refutes the scriptures that he is unchanging. Uh, two other aspects, he cannot increase, he cannot decrease, he cannot add to himself or subtract to himself. So how does this how does this refute the idea of of open theism that God is in an effort to protect His goodness, so to speak? They make excuses. Oh, God is learning. God is in process. What are some of the implications of that? Yeah. Um, well, quickly, just to define the term. So, process theology or open theism uh, is the view that God is changeable, that He is improving, that He's learning, and that open theism specifically. Uh, is about God's relation to the future, that the future is open, hence the name open theism, and therefore God cannot know the future decisions that you make because they're free and the future is not there for him to know about yet. So he is in one sense learning, which to me grievously undermines 
the doctrine of God's immutability, that God does not change, that God is perfect, that he knows all things. Um, and so when we, when we look at those things, and, and especially the scriptures they use, we, we need to understand them um, in what theologians call anthropo, anthropomorphic language. I can't speak well when I drink a lot of coffee. And anthropomorphic language simply means uh, God speaking about himself in human terminology. So anthropos, anthropology, that's uh, study of mankind, and morphe, the form of man. So when, when the Bible says, like in Exodus, that God saved us with his right arm, you know, Moses and the Israelites didn't see a right arm reach out of the sky and, and you know, grab Pharaoh by the neck and say, let my people go. It, it's a metaphor. And so when the Bible speaks about God like being sorry or regretting or changing his mind, uh, the way John Calvin speaks about that is it's not that God actually does that thing just like humans do, but it's that God clothes himself in our human language so that he can stoop down to our level and speak to us in a way that we can understand. And then by speaking to us in language that we can understand, like the father lisping to a little child, like I do it all the time at my house, we can relate to him or understand them in, in somewhat ways. But we want to be careful of making um, false uh, applications of those verses uh, from them. Yeah. Wes, where would we, that brings us back to scripture. Where would we look in scripture for evidences of God's immutability? Where would you, where would you direct someone who says, well, you know, I just can't get my head around a God who doesn't, who's unchanging. Yeah. Where, where would I find that? I'm a, I, I think that, well, whenever someone asks me for references, references are great, right? And um, they point us towards where we can find things. That's what they're there for. Uh, they're not um, inherently a part of uh, God's inherent word, right? But they are helpful. And But I think when I think of the unchanging character of God um, and how that relates to Scripture, I don't necessarily think of one specific place. I think of just the fact that God has remained the same from Genesis to Revelation. And I, I this is so tied in with our theology, right, as Presbyterians, as covenant theology, that God enters into a covenant with um, with Abraham, right? And, and that he's going to redeem a people for himself. And then we see their continual just failure after failure after failure throughout the Old Testament. Um, and continuing in the New Testament, we see continual failure of God's people. Yet God remains faithful. He remains, uh, his, his plan of redemption never ceases. And he just continues uh, to pursue his people in accordance with his immutability, his unchanging nature. That was a doxological from, uh, from uh, for, I believe it's 1 Timothy 3. Uh, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a verse that I think of um, as I was studying this, looking at it, is Psalm 102. 25 to 27. I think it's a wonderful thing because it gives a lot of metaphoric language that, that we can relate to. And the psalmist says, of old, you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away, but you are the same and your years have no end. So he, he describes the, the very fabric of the world. The things that we consider the most substantial that are going to outlast and outlive us. But compared to God, they're like a worn out garment. 
that you, you get rid of because it's got holes in it and you need to change it. And yet God himself uh, remains the same and his years will never end. I always tell my kids that God has never had a birthday and he'll never have a funeral. And they, that makes them sad because they, they wish that God would have a birthday. But what I mean is he's, he, he never began. He always has been. Let's, let's, take it, let's talk about some of the scriptures since we're on the topic of scriptures here. Mm-hmm. What about those verses that speaks about God changing? Genesis 6, uh, God regretted making mankind. Uh, 1 Samuel 15, he regretted, um, he regretted Saul's kingship. Mm-hmm. Talk mm-hmm. about those. What, what do we do yeah. when we address those uh, where it seems that God is changing his mind, repenting, uh, or relenting would be another word. Talk about some of those passages. How do we address those? Yeah, I think there are two particular passages that come in mind that you need to put alongside those ones. And I call these like the the bumpers on the bowling alley type of verses that they help you when you look at verses like that, they help you from veering off into the gutter and making some serious theological errors. And one is Numbers 23, 19. It says, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. And so you have to take that with the verses that seem to imply that God changes his mind. And you have to, to reconcile them. And like I said earlier, I think understanding that God communicates to us in, in human language is one of the keys. That, that God often, um, and I'm going to read a quote from John Calvin here, because I think it's helpful. And he's speaking specifically about Genesis 6-6, when it says God was sorry that he'd made man, which makes it sound like, I didn't see this coming. Wish, uh, I wish I would have done something differently here. But not Calvin like you and I, not like you and I do when we make bonehead mistakes. Yeah, exactly. Right, okay. But John Calvin says, because it could not otherwise be known how great is God's hatred and detesting of sin, therefore God accommodates himself to our capacity as a father stooping down to lisp to his infant child. God clothes himself with our affections and our emotions in order to effectively pierce our hearts with the gravity and seriousness of sin. So it's not that in reality, God thought he had made a mistake and wished he had never done this. But to communicate to us how serious and grievous sin is, God clothes himself with the emotions of a human in the scriptures to communicate to us the gravity of how serious sin is and turning away from God. Yeah. And I, I was thinking, I want to address, Mark, the, the Genesis text you brought up Um and I hope I'm not straying too far from the topic here because we are talking about God's immutability. Uh, but but what, what that really speaks to is the, the heart of God. And it's not, that, it's not that God changed. It's not that God's nature or character or who he is changed. It's that sin grieves the heart of God. And I think we lose our, uh, our understanding, our concept of, of this reality that our sin personally grieves God, right? That it, it hurts God and that God is a jealous God because he loves his people. And that the sin of his creation then to, to, to violate him, to rebel, to turn against him, it grieves him in the same way that, that our children, when they rebel against us and they don't listen to us, it hurts us. It grieves us. Um, Andrew could speak more to that. He's got a lot more, children than I do, but, but it, it, it grieves the heart of a parent when their child rebels against them. And so that doesn't mean just because that, that God's heart was grieved over the sin of, of 
uh, his creation, it doesn't mean that his character or his nature changed. Yeah, in one sense, God's response to sin is always, in one sense, going to be the same, that, that he is unchanging in his response to seeing sin and pride, and he's always going to oppose pride. He's always going to oppose rebellion and hostility and all these things. The issue would be if one day God sees sin and he just winks at it or says, eh, no big deal this time, then we have to be very uh, afraid because we've lost assurance in the uh, inflexibility and unchangeability of his character. Yeah. Go ahead. The immutability of God as it relates to um, specifically like his, his justice, right? Is, is so evident in the cross because God simply could not allow people to just enter in his kingdom in their sin, left in all of their unrighteousness, with all of their filth, with all of their corruption, with all of their f- brokenness and fallenness. It, it's not possible. Why is it not possible? Because God can't change. God's just. He was just in the beginning. He's just in the end. And he can't change. And in his justice, he cannot, as Andrew, the phrase he used, wink at sin, tolerate sin. And therefore, he had to send his son. He had, Jesus had to come to earth, to descend into humanity, and to take upon the sin of humanity, then, and to then give them an alien righteousness, the righteousness of God. And so the immutability of God is always directly tied in with the gospel. That, now, you bring up an interesting point, Wes, and I, do, I wanted to get to this here. Christ, the second person of the Trinity, fully God, becomes fully man. Yeah. So talk about the immutability of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Because we've just said that God cannot die, and yet Jesus Christ died and rose again. Now, there's a fine distinction that we make there. But that is a question that I've had addressed to me. Well, if God can't die, who's Jesus? Did Jesus, is he not God? Mm-hmm. So this is, a, this, is one of those, this is one of those fine points in theology that we, I think we need to have an answer for to, to uh, those who ask us a very legitimate question. Yeah, you attack that verse? Can I bat that over to you, Andrew? We'll get this. Sure, yeah, I'm happy, happy to. <laughs> no, it is, it is a very le- legitimate question. Um, and this is where, in one sense, we, we realize that to, to talk about the um, incarnation, that the second person of the Trinity taken on human flesh, that fully God, fully mad, in one sense, we can confess the mystery, but we cannot necessarily explain the mystery. We can um, confess, but not necessarily express. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, but what we do need to uh, properly speak about is that when Christ died on the cross, he died according to his human nature, not according to the divine nature. God cannot die. And so what, what happened to Christ happened to him according to his human nature, not according to the divine nature. Um, even when Christ was on the cross, according to his divine nature, he is still the son who is upholding all things by the word of his power, that he is uh, giving life and breath and everything to all the people who are mocking him, who are beating him, who are crucifying him. If, if Christ were to stop upholding all things according to the word of his power, the very cross that was holding him up would have disintegrated and disappeared, like in uh, Avengers Infinity War or which, whichever yeah. one. I would, but according to his human... Tape. <laughs> yes. According to his human nature, uh, Christ did truly die in his humanity. Yeah. 
that's a that's a really good point. And I think it's it's the, the emphasis on the divinity of Christ and uh, specifically we will someday get to. We'll yeah. someday get to that topic. <laughs> I was actually thinking about that the other day, like like doing something like that, like that other, but that'll be fun. Um, but anyways, when 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 during the incarnation, right, when Jesus took upon himself humanity, his divinity didn't change. And I think uh, of specifically of the Christ hymn in Philippians 2, when we see that that Jesus leaves the glories of heaven and he takes upon himself the, the morphe of a servant, morphe of a slave, um, morphe just means form. And, and what we what what my favorite translation of that text and a very accurate translation is that Jesus ceased taking advantage of his divinity, right? Mm-hmm. He emptied himself of the advantages of his divinity. The privilege. Yet his, the privilege divinity was, his divinity was yes. Yeah. Yet his divinity was fully 100% there to the point where even when he was on the cross, he perfectly well could have snapped his fingers and had it all have been over. Yeah. But he didn't. Because why? Because he emptied himself of the advantages of his, his uh, divinity, of who he was for the sake of sinners. And that's why, like, understanding this, like, mind-bending distinction between the unchangeable God and changeable humanity yeah. – is what should make us all that much more glory in the person and work of Christ. Like when you read statements about Jesus growing up, like in in the gospel of Luke, that he grew in wisdom and favor with man, it should, it is meant to cause you to pause and ponder and worship because in one sense, you're reading about the immutable, unchangeable God in human flesh, second person in the Trinity in human flesh, who is, in one sense, truly actually growing in wisdom as a, as a young boy. And then when like Hebrews talks about, uh, he learned obedience through what he suffered. It's talking about Christ in his humanity actually goes through human trials and he counts them all joy that he might grow uh, in proper obedience. Not that, not that at some point he disobeyed and went into obedience, but that he was growing more and more and becoming more and more obedient to his father. Uh, in a way that no other human has ever done, but he, he truly did it as a, uh, as someone who was had a human nature. Yeah. How do we, how do we address this idea then? And, and, and let me ask this. Sometimes that we as humans act and think if, as if God is transient. Mm-hmm. What are some um, of the common mistakes that we make? I was thinking directly past or directly back towards I, I believe it was our our last episode and we talked about how people try to take god down and bring him down to our level so that we can control and understand him and i think that's the same concept of, of why people act as if god is chained that he he changes right that he's some sort of just a flippant emotional uh divine being and he's one minute he's radically angry with us the next minute he just radically he loves us and he's tolerating us and all that's in between and i think that it's it's what it is is it's us bringing god down to our level because we we don't have a category for god we can't fully understand god and so therefore being unchangeable it's something that intellectually like i can give an assent to and say yeah like you know i i understand that something cannot change i get that but I really don't understand it because I've never experienced it. I've never seen it. 
And so I think that's why people do that. And, and one of the ways people do this is when things are going wrong in their own life or whatever, they mistakenly just assume that God is angry with them or, or then, then they become angry with God because they think that God is angry with them as if that God doesn't know already. And I'm speaking very, I need to clarify. I'm, I'm specifically talking to Christians here mm-hmm. um, as if God doesn't know exactly who you are. And he doesn't understand your 100% need for the righteousness of Christ already. And that he's surprised when you sin, right? (laughs) God is not surprised when we sin. Yeah. The idea that you were just speaking about that, my, I think my favorite, my favorite passage, he does not deal with our sins according to our, uh, he does not deal with us according to our sins, repay us according to our iniquities. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those are who, who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Mm. The unchanging nature yeah. of, our, of our Father God. Yeah, one thing you said, Wes, uh, it reminded me of a quote. I forget who said I think it was maybe G.K. Chesterton. But he said, in the beginning, God created man in his image. And ever since then, man has been returning the favor and, and recreating yeah. God. In, in, in man's, and so oftentimes we have to be careful of saying, because we are like this, therefore God must be like this. And that's, I think that's one of the fundamental mistakes we make when we misunderstand the character and attributes of God, which is why we're starting with the incommunicable attributes of God, ways that God is unlike and totally unique from us. So and one the script, of the ways... When the scripture says, let us make them in our image... Speaking of God, creator, making creatures, the image is not necessarily as inclusive because we are creaturely and not the creator. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, there there are ways in which we, there are analogies between us and God or or ways that we can reflect him. Um, Not obviously to the same degree or the same quality, but then there are ways that we absolutely cannot because he is altogether on a different plane of existence than us. So we'll have to get into that when we talk about uh, the doctrine of mankind and uh, the image of God. But I wanted to go back to your question about what are some ways that we mistakenly think and act if God is transient or, or changeable. And, and one of the ways I actually sometimes think that we, we make this mistake without even knowing it is when one day under one set of circumstances, we act as if God is dependable and we're trusting him and we're not being anxious. We're not worrying. You know, we're trusting for our daily bread and letting tomorrow be anxious for itself. And the next day, a new circumstance comes upon us and then we act as if God is no longer dependable because this new circumstance is somehow just beyond probably his ability to uh, supply our needs and provide for us. And so therefore, you know, dependable yesterday, not so much today. When in reality, obviously the change is with us and with our circumstances, but too often we let our circumstances dictate our theology rather than the other way around. We need, to, we need to bring this in for a landing, gentlemen. So uh, let, as, we're, as we are coming to a, approaching the landing strip here, how is God's immutability, how is his unchangeableness good news? Evangelizzo, how is it good news for those of us who've trusted him? I just, uh, I, I, I keep thinking about Jonah, um, and I've been thinking about Jonah a lot lately. And I just, <laughs> you can so clearly see the immutability of God in the book of Jonah, Jonah is like, he's, you know, this emotional child, right? And he becomes fearful. Oh, I don't like them. You know, I hate these people.
people. I'm not going to Nineveh, you know, and then he, so he goes, runs in the opposite direction. Um, and, and then we see him fearful. Then we see him sort of uh, with some sort of repentance in the belly of the fish. And then he's even at the end of the, the book complaining still that God uh, brought these people to repentance. It's amazing. But throughout the book, while Jonah is so flippant, so constantly changing in, in the way, the picture that we get of him, God is not changing. That God is so incredibly faithful to Jonah. And Jonah, I actually got this from uh, Andrew's notes on Jonah from a few years ago. But Jonah's name, son of Amate, is uh, the son of God's faithfulness. And God's faithfulness does not change. And in the same way that God remains the same throughout the narrative of Jonah, we see the same throughout the entire narrative of the Bible, that God does not change. And, and what this should do in our hearts is that we should trust him, that we should, we should fully trust him. And as Andrew just brought up, we, don't, we often don't do that, right? And in all these different ways, we fail to trust him. But that is what the, the manifestation of the immu, immutability of God in our lives should look like, is just of complete reliance and trust on the person of God. Hmm. And I would add to that, like with God's unchangeability, because his character is unchanging every single day, every single moment, you could depend on his character to be the same gracious, mm. merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love God. And because God is unchanging in his truthfulness, every promise that you cling to and hold on to, you can keep clinging and holding on to. You can take it to the bank knowing that, you know, there's sufficient funds in that account. It's always going to be a good promise that you can rely on. And then because God is unchanging in his love and his plan of redemption, you can know that your security in Christ is unchangeably secure. That it's not like one day God is going to unadopt you because he's just decided that it's just not going to work out. He is unchanging in his uh, love toward you. That's a great, uh, that's a great way to wrap it up. I, what I love about Jonah is that God's purposes were not denied by, a, by an unwilling uh, human agent, that God accomplishes purpose despite uh, Jonah's uh, reluctance despite his hostility, and yet he was compelled to obey, and God fulfilled his purpose and brought mercy to Jonah's enemies despite Jonah, and that he is faithful and consistent always. Well, gentlemen, been a great pleasure to be with you. Folks, uh, join us again next week. We will be back with another attribute. Do we know what that attribute is yet? To be determined. To be to TBD. So join us next week. We'll be back for another attribute of God. It's been a great pleasure to be with you. We will see you next week on Presbyterians in Quarantine Drinking Coffee. Make it a great week.